ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. Well, if bingo and boredom and a slow winding down of the clock are not what you look forward to when you retire, what could that period hold? Some are suggesting that we should change the whole way we think about our lives after paid work and retire the word retirement. We could call it our on-call life instead or the third age. I'm very keen to hear from you on this, your vision for your retirement years. What would you like to be doing or feeling or experiencing? Or put another way, what would you like to be when you grow old? Also, I'd love to hear your thoughts for what we should call this glorious age, if not retirement or the encore life or the third age. Journalist, performer and author Jane Hutchin has been thinking a lot about this lately after her mother sadly passed away. Jane says that set off her own mortality alarm and led to a new way of thinking about this stage of life. Jane, lovely to have you back on Life Matters. Hi, Hilary. How are you going? Good. Now, I'm sorry to hear about your loss, but tell me about the train of thought that your mother's death sparked in you. Oh, well... It wasn't simply her death at the age of 99. It was it was watching her decline, particularly in the last year, and having having to go into aged care centres and dealing with all the paraphernalia of ageing in Australia, like, you know, my aged care and considering whether you're going to have home care, just all the options that are available to older people. And nothing seemed like the perfect response. But eventually, after several falls, my mum did have to go into an aged care home. My dad is is still very much with us. He he, he couldn't care for her anymore because he literally couldn't lift her off the ground if she fell. So that was a really sad time. And, and she she lived for about 14 months in aged care, which I understand is a bit below the average. Most people will have a stay of about 16 months, I believe. Um, and then then she passed away. So I suppose that left me with a whole lot of thoughts. Some of them were on, you know, the way that people die in aged care. Is that how we want to go? And then one night, very, very, you know, it's always 3 a.m. for me. I don't know why, but I suddenly was bolt upright and the house was completely silent. And I just suddenly had this thought, well, you're going to die soon. You're next in line. And you know, I had a child quite late in life, so I have a teenage daughter, I've got another older parent and, you know, a partner. And all of a sudden I started thinking about all the ramifications of me entering old age. And I was just kind of frozen with fear at this realisation. It really was a mortality alarm and it's come back several times and sometimes the ringing is kind of like a little bit further along on the spectrum but um, I just started thinking I really have to head into my old age prepared I want to be prepared I want to know what are the options what what are the things that I can change about the way I live my mum had mild dementia um, you know, in about six or seven years before she died, am I going to end up with dementia? What can I do, if anything, to prevent my cognitive decline, I suppose? Mm. So I just started, yeah, it's pretty heavy. It's like coming, having this kind of personal thesis that you have to deal with. So I just started to unpack it. And um, as part of that process, which I'm still going through, I think I could actually be researching this for 
for many more years to come. Well, yeah, I, sort of... I found it really interesting, Jane, that you know you said you had this mortality alarm go off, you're going to die soon. Actually, statistically speaking, you've got at least 20 years left and, and genetically speaking, it could be up to 40, couldn't it, in your family? And we've inherited a lot of ideas about retirement from previous generations that, as you say, don't fit mm. your life anymore. You know, you had kids much later, they're still growing up, they'll be growing up for ages. How did you come to think about the mismatch between the traditional idea of retirement and what you would like to see happen for you? Well, you know what? It was getting um, getting a seniors card. And then, <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. So I could apply for one because I didn't have full-time work. And then I got my, my gold travel card, which just seemed like, oh, no way. And actually, one of my former colleagues saw me on the tram and she started to mock my gold card. (laughs) And I just, I I was sort of thinking, well, you know what, when when are you old? When when is one considered old? And I thought that there must be official, an official time because, you know, these sort of things happen when you get 60 and, and then superannuation kicks in at a certain phase. I just started to look up when does old age begin? And I never realised that it was a construct. You know, people um, have pulled this out of a hat basically from historical reasons. It's not that your body suddenly starts to decline at 60 or 65 or 70. And then that was a whole nother shocking thing, Hillary, to realise that human beings, unless you're an elite athlete, your body is starting to grow old in your late, uh, late 20s. So we're kind of like in decline from our late 20s. But you did find out a lot of it was under our control, (laughs) didn't you? That, you know, a lot of the stuff wasn't inevitable. No, things aren't inevitable. But unless we're very, very fit, highly fit individuals like elite athletes, our body is, is aging even though we don't see it. And I figure if more people knew this and it might make people much more aware of their actions and their realisation that time is is not that, you know, not that long because you have already started ageing. Um, so, yeah, it's it's really a roller coaster. Well, yes, indeed. I was fascinated to see you spoke to one ageing researcher who talked to you about uh, an idea that, that predominates in Eastern societies, in Buddhist societies in particular, that ageing is a continuance. It's a, one more life stage among many, you know, equally accepted life stages. But that's quite different to how Western societies often see it, isn't it? Ageing is often seen as a decline and constructed as a decline. How are you going yeah. with taking on a different view of your own ageing? Well, you know, I, I, I was brought up in Hong Kong. Um, I'm part Chinese and I actually spent time in China as the ABC's China correspondent. And I could see, like, the mornings were taken up by older people. They would go into the parks, they would cover the hillsides and they'd all be engaged in this massive exercise thing. You know, whatever their particular thing was, whether it was dancing, walking backwards, they do another one where they're slapping their bodies. I mean, they were really really into this very holistic thing that um, as an older person they had to take care of their bodies and a lot of people in China at the time were being made redundant by state enterprises so they were being laid off at 45 and 50 which is not a very old age and I could see that people had a lot of compassion 
for them because it wasn't their fault they were being laid off. This was just the system. So I think I've always felt a little bit different to the way we in Australia seem to to hit an age and then they market all this these cruises and alcohol to us. You know, this is I just sort of think this is not this isn't my kind of retirement. So I sort of wonder who are those people who are, you know, taking cruises and and drinking up all the the alcohol that seems to be thrown their way. So, yeah, I just feel I felt there was a disconnect. Yeah, I love the the piece you wrote in The Guardian talking about our ideas about productivity and uh, being of use, being of service later in life in different ways than maybe we've been allowed to or found easy to during our paid working years. I want to read you a text, Jane Hutchin. Lots of texts coming in, but this one for the moment. I'm a low-income worker in their 20s who can't reasonably trust that I'll have assets or the means to retire at a decent age. Seems to me the most powerful thing I have at the moment is the ability to withhold my labour and try and be close to life now because the future is dire and retiring on a pittance at 75 after working for a pittance for someone else's profit my whole life seems miserable and they finish mutual aid, comradeship. So, you know, that's coming from a very particular perspective. But there's quite a few texts saying, look, that degree of control over your later life is is out of reach for a lot of people, isn't it? And you've reflected on that, haven't you, Jane? Yeah, look, that it's certainly not as straightforward for everybody. And in the article I wrote, there's, a, there's been research by national seniors and, and many of our excellent, excellent researchers that we have in the area of ageing in Australia saying that, you know, wanting to be productive and wanting to have control of a lot of things is certainly a privileged position. But maybe I can use my privilege to help and enlighten other people. I certainly here, I'm actually in touch with a lot of people who have stories that are not particular happy women who've been out of work and then found work in their 60s and can never imagine that they can retire. And even with those people, it's funny, I said, well, you know, can you ever have a great quality of life? And the reply is, well, I am having that now. I've started a new um, art program or I do this. So I think there are things that we can do in in most situations. The most important thing, I think, is is not to give up, to to try and constantly have um, a proactivity, you know, be proactive towards what's possible. Don't give up. Don't throw your hands up thinking this is all, you know, it's all too too much. I can't handle it. Some really interesting texts I'd like to share with you, Jane, at the moment. We're speaking with Jane Hutchin, who you'll know as a reporter on the ABC of Longstanding, the One Plus One show where she did amazing in-depth interviews with really interesting people uh, and also being a foreign correspondent for many years and in different places. Someone says, I'm not thinking about this, I'm living it. Quite distressing. After a very active, purposeful working life, it now seems impossible to find new purpose. I'm 70 next month, fit and strong. I want more than yoga and lunch with friends for the next 20 years and other people recounting how they are doing this they they are living some dreams they thought might have been out of reach in earlier years Carlin Orbos says since retiring five years ago I've moved from Melbourne to the mouth of the Snowy River I've owner built my own house and co-run a hobby farm I've joined the local hospital board and met my second wife life has improved greatly Judy says retire never I'm 83 working full-time teaching driving ice skating and marrying people. I'm assuming, Judy, that you're marrying 
other couples, <laughs> not serially marrying people yourself, but no judgment here. I thoroughly enjoy having the stimulation of working with teenagers, she says. I do at least six gym sessions a week and I hope to keep going as long as my body lets me. Long live oldies. That idea of um, productivity is really interesting, isn't it? And and how people engage with later life. Jane, you wrote uh, stunningly in the Guardian article, I'm committing to use using my remaining 13 million minutes to aid as productively as possible. We should ask ourselves, what do you want to be when you grow old? What have you come up with in answer to that question? Well, I'm currently thinking about a new theatre show. So I did a theatre show last year. It's actually going on tour um, in a year's time. But that was about branching out. I mean, people sort of laughed Jane on stage, but it was actually a long-held dream of mine as a kid to be an actor. So I told the story of my mother's life and upbringing in Shanghai. And it was pretty amazing that I got to do that on stage, including at the Sydney Festival last year. So now I'm thinking of a different show, maybe one that's a little bit more entertaining and talks about what we can do um, in our older years, but it would kind of be part workshop as not just not just a stand-up show, but, you know, a little bit, hopefully people will get, take away something from that. And of course, everything I always do has got to be about conversations. So maybe the end of that show will actually be we all sit down and talk through, you know, what we've learnt and what we can take forward. So I'm a, I'm a bit of a, I call myself a slashy. I have a portfolio career, um, but I absolutely love it, Hillary. I get up every day and just think, okay, what's on? What's going to come to me today? You're hearing from Jane Hutchin, who's been looking into and writing about changing ideas about retirement and, and how we engage with the world once we finished our paid jobs, if we are lucky enough to be able to do that. I'd love to hear your thoughts on what you'd like your retirement to look like. Let's bring Joanne Earle in here. She's a professor at the Centre for Ageing, Cognition and Wellbeing at Macquarie Uni, and she specialises in holistic retirement planning. And uh, Joanne, you're about to release some new research, I understand, on why people sometimes decide to go back to work after they stopped. Why do they? That's right. Well, there's two main reasons, and that data actually comes from the ABS. And the ABS, uh, in between iterations of the Retirement Intention Survey, found about 196,000 people who had left work and then considered themselves retired and then went back in. And the two key reasons were running out of money and uh, also getting bored. And so our take on that, the research that we've done, is actually to use that information to help to design a program where instead of just getting people to focus on finances as part of their retirement planning, we get them to focus instead on careers first, that is why they want to leave work and when, and then their health. Is their health going to get them to where um, they want to, to go in terms of their career when they so that they can leave on their own terms, if you like. And then the finances, because normally people would just focus on the finances first and sometimes that's the only thing they focus on. So we're trying to get them to think about career first, um, then uh, health and then finance. That's an interesting idea. When you say career in later life, what, mm. what might that look like? 
Well, what we're trying to, to get people to do is to focus uh, on planning earlier, starting earlier. So we, most of the people that we get into our program are from 55 uh, and onwards, but th- these sorts of ideas could be applied from the fo- really 40s and onwards. And getting people to start thinking about uh, where their strengths are and how that might give them some longevity in terms of the types of work that they do. Because what we do see, and it's a very common trend, is that from 45 and upwards, there's almost like a linear trend of the ratio of people working full-time to part-time. And by the time you get to about 65 in Australia, the ratio of part-time to full-time is about half and half. So if we got people thinking about these questions relating to career earlier, we could be getting them to follow through on things that they have strengths in, but they've got passion in, to continue their career and then choose the exit at their you know, own bequest. Not always, of course. People can't control 100% about health issues or, or about... Um, redundancies but where they do have the option to choose we're encouraging them to think about issues to do with career much earlier. Well yeah the the number of people who are texting in with a really broad range of things that they're involved in a a theme is volunteering and charity work. Yes. Joanne Mm -hmm. Earl uh, I love that you came up with this little mental uh, exercise to help people do this kind of planning thinking about what they like at work and what they would chuck off their plate if they could. Yeah. But I'm really glad too that you raised the issue of control. I mean do we need Mm. some broader policy changes to, to make sure that the people who don't have as much control over the extent of their working life don't slip through the cracks and and end up having to work in jobs that they don't like or even perhaps not physically uh, uh, sustainable for them well into their later years. I I don't think anyone uh, would disagree that the, the pension is difficult to live on because it's such a small amount of money. But getting people to think ahead about where those finances will be coming from much earlier in their career uh, can be helpful. And I, I do think that although policy changes are needed, we, as we've got a lot more people ageing in Australia um, because of the baby boomer um, cohort coming through, the reality is that I think there's going to be a drive towards self-sufficiency. And so trying to find ways of making sure that you have enough money and being realistic about that. What I mean by that is a lot of people will plan to think they're going to live off their superannuation. But the reality is that most people in Australia live off a pension in some form or another. So Taking, recognising that that's going to be a reality can help in terms of uh, better uh, conceptualising expectations about what retirement will look like um, and spending patterns and to be cognisant of it much earlier in advance, getting on top of things like you know, budgeting and understanding where your super is, where's your super and how's it performing so that you're getting the most out of that, that money, that, that nest egg, if you like. Yeah, there's the practical issues like uh, health and exercise that Jane was talking about before, as well as these financial ones and the broader issue of how we see ourselves in retirement. Lovely text has just popped in, Joanne and Jane. I'm absolutely thrilled to be retired. I get to be a human being rather than just a human Mm. doing. I grow food, make bread, study new interests, hike 
yoga, preserve food, make jam, and sometimes just sit with a cuppa. I'm less bored than I ever was at work. I know I'm really lucky to be in this place, and I'm 61. Now, uh, another question, uh, Joanne, that, that, that pops up is how do we change attitudes so that mm. people who want to work can go back to work? I think... I- in reality, I think we, we do need to change attitudes and it's a, we're still a fairly ageist society and I think that's, uh, you know, across all segments, people, people can uh, put their own stereotypes on themselves too and think and limit themselves. So I think that part of the solution to all of this is getting people to think about their own careers and where they are and not leaving work and unless they can see what they're going to. So what happens often is that people will leave work and then they try to get back in and it's much more difficult than they thought. We're encouraging them to think about that decision before they leave because there might be options that they're able to exercise. They may be, for example, able to talk to their current employer or look around for a new employer who's able to accommodate part-time work or more flexible work arrangements if that's what they're interested in doing, not necessarily leaving for good, but looking at other ways of transitioning and using that sort of bridge employment, part-time work opportunities. We're speaking with Joanne Earle, who's a professor at the Centre for Ageing, Cognition and Wellbeing at Macquarie University. She specialises, as you're probably getting the impression, in holistic retirement planning. And she's been looking at the research on why people decide they want to or need to go back to work after they've pulled the pin and, and retired at some point. Now, Joanne, you say that obviously this is a problem for those people individually if they're, if they're uh, mm. not finding the fulfilment in retirement retirement that they thought they would. But you say it's also an issue more broadly for for all of us. Why is that? Well, I absolutely think that a lot more could be done while people are still working. So employers, you know, to take responsibility for this. So for example, um, getting employees co-designing future opportunities. So getting organisations to start thinking about how they're going to be using the talent that they've got and retaining it for longer in a way that works for the employee as well as the employer. I also think that, you know, we're going to see uh, a huge need for knowledge transition and management within organisations. It's going to be really important that organisations think about, you know, those half a million people who are retiring over the next five years and how we take all that knowledge that people have got and help it to be transitioned to the next generation or how we retain it in the organisations for longer. Um, But I also see, you know, from a social perspective, it would be really great if we could see more initiatives to create new tribes for people when they retire Um, because loneliness is a reality and loneliness is, it's debilitating. It has as much effect as any other physical health um, problems that we've seen. So trying to make sure that people have a new tribe that they can connect with is really important. So I'd love to see some more initiatives around that. But I'd also like people to think, you know, about talent um, and using it to, you know, not just the 60s, but 70s and 80s. We've got a lot of, we, we see lots of really good examples sharing those role models. For example, you look at Catherine Greiner, who's uh, um, the chair for the Ministerial Advisory Council on Ageing, and she's really going strong and she contributes to lots of different boards in lots of different ways. For me, she's a role model of what I would like to be myself um, as I grow older. 
Wow, I was stunned to read in one of Jane's articles that Australians over 55 contribute almost $75 billion in unpaid caring and volunteer, mm. voluntary work every mm. year. And so many of our texts, I don't know if Life Matters listeners are just extraordinarily engaged or if this is representative of the population, but it's extremely heartening. Mandy says, for a new lease of life, head to the Territory and do some work. Aged care, school support, casual relief teaching, nursing, community work, anything to help with permanent workforce shortages up there especially with Indigenous people. She's been doing that since retiring, in quote marks, for the last nearly 10 years. Best thing. Jane Hutchin, just as we finish up, you say in uh, in your writing that you're still looking for the right balance of productivity and freedom. What's your ideal like as the next 10, 20, 30, 40 years evolve for you? Well, you know what? I reckon we can only, for me anyway, as I have a child still at school, I can only I can only do a five-year plan. You know, I can only really look forward and see what's going to happen until the time she's left school. So for me at the moment, it means pretty much working when she's at school, but when she's on holiday, maybe I have that time a little bit more free. It's about a bit of advocacy. I noticed the other day there was this newspaper article, Extol the grumpiness of of um, Hugh, um, the the four weddings and funeral actor Hugh Grant. Um, Hugh Grant, um, you know, and I, I thought whoever would write an article about an aging woman who's become beautifully grumpy in her old age, you know, that just doesn't happen. We always ask older women about aging, and we asked we ask older men about their amazing lives and careers. So I really want to see that whole narrative change. And if there's anything I can do to help that, you know, that's that's kind of where my head is at at the moment. That's a really interesting mix of, uh, yeah, different kinds of usefulness and productivity. Jane Hutchin, <laughs> so lovely to speak with you today. Thank you. Thanks so much. Jane worked for many years as a journalist. Her latest book is called Rebel Talk, The Art of Powerful Conversations. And you can read her articles in The Guardian on ageing and productivity, among other things. Joanne Earle, thank you so much for bringing your expertise to this discussion today. Oh, my pleasure. Always a pleasure to talk about holistic retirement planning. And uh, I look uh, forward to uh, people reading about our research and getting some feedback from them about what's working. Yes, indeed. Joanne's a professor at the Centre for Ageing, Cognition and Wellbeing at Macquarie University. ABCRN helps you understand the world. Find more of our stories on the ABC Listen app.